would say probably college. I became a believer um, my freshman year of college. For those of you that I was with last year, I was at 1811 Melrose Avenue. So I became a believer my freshman year. And I knew I wanted to live so different, right? I'd kind of played around with Christianity um, all throughout high school. But when, when God, when I was saved at UT my freshman year, it was, um, it was, it changed the trajectory of everything. It changed what I was passionate about. I come from a family where business is the thing. And so I have an economics background and I, my plan was just to go straight into business. Um, but it began in me this longing for things that were eternal. And that's the only way I can sort of sum it up is that mm. there was this hunger in me for things that were not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that it was up and to the right the entire time, right? Because our life in Christ always looks kind of like this, yeah. you know? It's never just straight, <laughs> never, ever, ever. Um, but I think that that decision sparked a whole lot of other decisions that just God used to steamroll things. And then probably more specifically spiritual formation when I was in California at seminary, um, there's a saying that as the West goes, so goes the world. And there was already probably 20 years ago, this hunger and this desire to return to ancient paths. We see it, I think a lot of it um, was because of all of the missions up and down the West Coast. A lot of priests had spiritual directors. And so you started hearing language about what does a spiritual director do and what is the work of spiritual mm. formation? And so I think God used where I was in the location for that. And then I would say, jumping forward several years, even after seminary for me, and after a big season of ministry, God just started saying, the way the world, I think he starts opening your eyes, and the way that you see the world headed, and your own passion for God, you realize something's got to give, something's got to give, it, it can't just stay um, the way things are. And I just started seeing even churches I was a part of, things weren't working anymore. Um, evangelism explosion had already exploded and you didn't, um, you didn't yeah. see anything. And you started seeing churches treat, um, forming people into the image of God. You didn't see a success in that. It was just pray a prayer and then we'll see you in heaven. And I, that same hunger crept up where I was like, that cannot be like God, Jesus cannot have come to earth and lived a blameless life and died a gruesome death to make us all nice people. There's got to be way more than that. And I think that was... There is. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be very brief. Yeah, I came, I came back to faith in college, uh, which is a, a longer story. Uh, but then... Uh, probably the work of spiritual formation and, and deep discipleship was honestly, mm, I mean, probably, I don't even know now, six, seven years ago. It's not, uh, I think really taking serious, you know, Paul's call in Galatians 4.19, where he talks to the church in Galatia and he says, uh, my little children of whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Uh, is a verse that I had never put in context until whatever that was, five, six years ago, and I read it and then started to kind of just meditate on it and think about it. And then from there, my world just expanded into what God has for us in Christ, what's available there, that it's not just a passivity. It's, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, God has saved you and then um, you relax uh, is God has saved you and invited you to become more like his son, right? You're saved, you become, uh, you know, a son or daughter of God, and you already are a saint. You already are uh, uh, that. You know, Paul talks in all of his letters, he greets them all as saints. And so the work of formation, the work of Christ deformity is to become who you already are. So you're not trying to, to be someone you're not. It's that I'm already a son, I'm already a daughter, I'm already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The work of formation is to make that true and then close the gap between who you already are in Christ and how you're behaving and how you're living and how you're thinking. And that was, that was not a concept that I actually would have been able to articulate until five, six years ago, which was five or six years after being a pastor. I would have talked about discipleship, um, but more in the way of read your Bible, but not with the telos or the goal of it. 
right? And the goal is God's glory, but you can't just get God's glory by saying that, right? There's a way to get it, and that's by the thing that brings God the most glory is, well, his son brought him the most glory, and so if we want to bring him glory, then we're, we live like his son. And so that was just, I had not put those pieces together. And then it's like anything, you know, like the end of the sixth sense or something. Like once you see what happens and you look back and you're like, oh, that's what that's about. And that's what that's about. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's still new in my journey and has really, but in that way, it's new in my journey, but it's the most ancient thing. And it's brought such life to me to realize that God has saved me. Um, but he also is inviting me to discover all that he died to purchase for me, uh, which is more than forgiveness of sins. And that's the work of um, discovering that, entering the promised land of God's presence. And it's just been very hard and such life. Phew. Uh, yeah, that was really good. And I, I think I can somewhat agree with both of you guys. It was college for me too, but, yeah. and I came to Christ senior year of high school, right before college in a independent <laughs> yeah, fundamental yeah, Baptist church. Suit wearing. Suit wearing. You King, had a suit. King James version of the Bible. You only sing hymns. You don't have instruments on the stage. There's one pastor who leads everything. Uh, and they treated, and I'm not, I love that church. I still go back to it when I'm uh-huh. at home. There's That's, some things I love about it, uh-huh. but they treated discipleship as repent to be baptized and then go to church. And that is your discipleship to Jesus. And then I got into college in this ministry called Campus Outreach, where I met a man with some of y'all met, W.C. Garrett, who for four years said, come follow me as I follow Jesus. And opened up his life to me and then began to show me how to follow Jesus, read my Bible, how to evangelize, how to do ministry, how to even preach, how do I I take serious confessing sin. So, uh, and so for me, it was very similar ages of a lot of you guys where, it, when you get a taste of it, you're just like, I, I want more of it. I think when you really taste it. So um, I think that was a, a great question. They're just coming in. My watch is freaking out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so y'all two did hit on, I think this will be a good question for you both to answer. Uh, this is beautiful. What are, <laughs> what are some of your devotional habits? So as we talk about spiritual formation, I guess another word we could use is devotional life to Jesus. And yep. now we probably think of just reading scripture as that, but maybe we can make it more all-encompassing. But mm. uh, what are some of those habits for you? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it looks different in different seasons. I mean, I have three young kids now, so it looks different than when I was in college, when I was in seminary, when I was newly married. And so you always want to... Um, be true to your season of life uh, and the margin that, that you have. You, but you can always create more margin. You just have to find the time. Uh, so I'd say now I get up very early because before everybody else goes, gets up in my home. Uh, and uh, I, for me, I'm a big reader, so I love to read. Uh, but I've tried to discipline. I actually, Stacey and I have talked about this. I actually have like three movements of my day, kind of morning reading. Uh, then like early morning reading, then like before I'm in meetings reading, and then evening reading, uh, which is, I'm not prescribing any of that. It's just how God wired me. So morning reading is usually, actually, I read uh, poetry. I love to read poetry because it just, like music, like art, uh, it says more than uh, things which are kind of very sometimes tangible say. and just stirs my heart up. So I'm reading a collection of poems of Mary Oliver right now, which are just, I mean, it's worship. It's worship through, through poetry. And so I'm reading some of her, reading two or three of those. Um, and then right now I'm reading, I don't always do this, but right now I'm actually, I just had one of the most powerful devotional moments, like experienced in my life, reading through Jeremiah 2 the other day. I mean, it was, it was profound. Um, so I am reading Jeremiah and then I'm reading Acts. So I usually read a chapter or two from each of those and just try and uh, see what the Lord is saying to me. And I take notes in my Bible or in a, in, uh, I was going to say a note card, but in a journal. That's what it is. And uh, it's just, I want to, like for me in the morning, I want to do things that 
like read the scripture versus like poetry and scripture, that's pretty much it. Maybe a, a really good devotional, like a Puritan or something theologically super strong, but that's like worshipful, that's exalting Jesus because I just need to be like filled up for the rest of the day. Like I don't need a business book. I don't need an organizational leadership book. I don't need a, a, a novel. Uh, so then before I, I've kind of redone my schedules and before I have meetings, when I'm actually in the office, I'm reading maybe a leadership book. And then at the end of the day, I'm reading usually fiction um, or a different type of book. So for me, for, I'll say this, for me, uh, I spend a lot of my life waking up late and reacting to my day. And because I just woke up and the whole day was reacting to my day. And I just was not being formed, not a lot of fruit. Um, and I just really have committed to the Lord, like, I will get up early. And I've not even really become a morning person. <laughs> but it has been one of the most important things for me is to get up, to have coffee, and to just read and ask God to move. So... Um, so similar. I would say the things that I love most are early mornings. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon amongst some of the people on our team, like 6 a.m., you'll yeah. see a text come up or 4.30 yeah. in the morning, and you're like, okay, we're all starting fires in our house. <laughs> we're trying. Um, but I would say a few things. One is the Word. The Word is what shapes us and forms us more than anything else. And because I tend to be a teacher, um, I've always loved reading the word and like writing in the margins and doing that kind of thing. But the last few years, I've just let it be read over oh. me. So whether it's the Dwell app or your U version, the there's app. something about yes. it being yeah. read over you that just you soak in the word. And there's a different way. Mm -hmm. Like I like to kind of imagine I'm a first century Christian who doesn't necessarily have a copy of the scriptures. So it makes me think about it a lot different. And I'm also not running out to think, to try to unpack it, to figure out how I would teach it. It yeah. helps me just to receive it. Yeah. I would say prayer has been the other thing. Um, and that is that filling up that he talked about. I, I think every morning I can go, I can get till noon on my own strength or I can spend time in prayer and get through the rest of the day. And so I would say prayer. And then because our faith is always meant to be embodied, I think God, um, we're always going to have to push back in the West of a faith that's only intellectual. So you have got to like get outside. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? He's the one who strides the mountains. You've got to get outside. And even with a bum foot, I will sit outside <laughs> because there's something about knowing God based out of creation. All I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen, right? And so you need to be outside. You need to do earthy things. If you want a robust spirituality, you can't just read. You can't just pray. Those are really, really great places um, to be anchored. But I think you've got to do things like fiddle around in a garden, <laughs> and go for long walks and bake bread and do art. You need some of those things to make you more of who you are. Otherwise, I think you just get to become a really, really big head. And that's not the way that our faith is ever meant to be lived out. Mm. So, mm. I'm going to add one more that I don't think anybody in this room knows that I do, only my wife. Uh, but I'll share with you all. Uh, because it's, it's kind of different, and it was, it's been a big stretch for me. But like late last year, inspired by uh, a pastor that a few of us know, um, I just felt God calling me to like find some place where I could go and like during my lunch hour sometimes just go and prayer walk. And, you know, Knoxville is like the worst walking city in the world. And so I was like, where could I even go during lunch? It's not like Kingston Pike that where people are. And so I was like just praying. And so I go to West Town Mall and I park at Belk uh, and I just pray like, Lord, every person that I see, uh, I just pray blessing over their life. And then I pray two things. Would you restore to them the joy of their salvation or would you give them joy of salvation? And it has actually been a deeply, I don't tell a lot of people because it's actually been just great to be private about it. But I say it to you because 
it is not just kind of only sitting and listening to the word. It's actually interacting with God by being in a very public place and keeping your heart soft towards lost people. And I have I've actually had many experiences of God just like putting someone in front of me in the food court or in a, in a place in the mall and uh, without trying to judge them, I can just tell they are deeply broken. And it's been a great moment to just pray and try not to walk behind them too much creepily. Just like, why is this man by himself? Like, but I'll have AirPods in, sometimes listen to worship music. And I'm just like looking and trying to discern like, um, you know, I wish it was New York City or San Francisco or Chicago. It's not, like it's West Town Mall. And yet there are a lot of people in West Town Mall and a lot of image of God in there. And I think the vast majority of those people are far from God and have no idea uh, what walking with him is like. And so just to go there and like have your eyes up and pray and ask God to move um, and actually sometimes have conversations with people um, has been actually one of the most surprisingly shaping things for my spiritual life and for my heart for lost people and not just having my spiritual life be about my own life in Jesus, but about being poured out for lost people through prayer and through paying attention to them. So now other people know that, but it's been a great, yeah. I just, the joy I get yeah. now pulling into Belk, like, because I feel like the, the Lord's about to meet me in a crazy way when I walk through this mall. It's I been might amazing. I ask you to pick up stuff from Bath and Body Works. <laughs> Candles. You know, I tell you what, Bath and Body Works, not Auntie looking good. Auntie Anne's pretzels. Not a lot of people in Bath and Body Works. Or, <laughs> I, actually, now I can tell stores, I'm like, it is not going to make it, this store. Like, <laughs> and I've seen a couple stores, and it's like. I was like, in faith, I knew that was happening. In <laughs> uh, both, so I want to frame this question up. Both of y'all are professional pastors, I guess professional. Uh, yes. It's your job in somewhat to, to try to think about living spiritually for him. Uh, so I like this question. I think it kind of hits us more introductory, but how do you start getting more consistent in your walk with Jesus? How would you answer that? Where does it begin, Maybe. I'll tell you that I probably was more consistent in my walk with Jesus. Okay, so I've been in ministry and I've been in the marketplace because I'm married to a minister. You guys know Elijah from your retreat. Yes. And we go back and forth just because there aren't churches always where you're yeah. both going to be employed in a season. So he'll tag in. Like, and he'll be in ministry and then he'll come out and it'll be like, you know, wrestling and I'll, I'll jump into the ring and then he'll go back into the marketplace. I will say, do not think that being in ministry is the secret sauce for your life to be formed in Christ. It is not the secret sauce. In fact, it's not even close to that. Um, I, I was... I had more opportunities when I was in the marketplace sometimes for that mm -hmm. because there was this fire in my bones. And so I had a team in, in India and in the UK. And so I would get up really early, like four o'clock in the morning. I'd work with them for a few hours, let my firm come online in East Coast time. And then I would always take 12 to two and I would study and pray and get in the Word and read books. And then I'd go back to work from two to five. You can do it any way that you want to do it. But ministry is not going to be the guarantee of your success, right? And so I would say, if you're just wanting to start and you're wanting to learn, um, just do a minute a day. Unless you're not at a, you know, unless you're way past a minute. Start with just a little bit of time in prayer. Start with a little bit of time in silence and solitude. Start with just a little bit of something and then let it build. And I love what R.D. said about seasons. There are gonna be times in the midst of finals where your quiet time and your time with the Lord is gonna go out of the window because you're studying for that Spanish exam or that organic chemistry exam. Um, but man, there's just so much, that's not the biggest thing. Like over time, your life is just going to be so shaped by moments and you won't even notice it at the time, but it's just moments at a time. So I would say when it comes to wanting to be formed and look more like Jesus, 
you can trust that because it's his power that is at work in you, that if you just plug in for a minute, your phone, if you plug in your phone and it's on low for a minute because KUB, or is that what it is? That power is not the power of God. You plug in your phone for a minute and you might go from 20% to 22%. <laughs> but you plug into God for a minute and all bets are off. Like you can be so transformed in just a short amount of time. So don't think that you've got to have long, long, long extended periods of time. I had professors in seminary who said, you've got to learn to do the work of worshiping fast and deep. And they were always flying all over the world. They were missions professors, but learn to worship fast and deep. And then there are times when you can just have extended periods, so. Mm. Uh, I'll just briefly say, um, you have to be around other people that push you to be with Jesus. I mean, if it's just you, it won't, it won't, it won't be good enough. It won't be, because you're not strong enough. And so you've got to, you've got to be with other people that um, remind, you, remind you of that. And so to be a community of people, that's why it is a family, a church, all, all of that, uh, I'd say is for me, like to be consistent uh, is to be with people. And I, also to be around people that are, like Hebrews 13 says, like considering the outcome of their faith or the people in front of you that you're looking at, it's like, I want my life to look like them. What's it going to take to do that? And to consider their, their life. And, uh, you know, if you're around lukewarm people, you're going to be a lukewarm Christian. Right? If you're around people that aren't serious about God, you, you're going to be an unserious person. That's what's going to happen, right? Every research in the world says you basically become the composite of your closest friends. You do. And so the people closest to you are going to shape you the most deeply. So if you're around hungry and thirsty people for God, guess what you're going to become? Hungry and thirsty for God. And so that, that to me has been a huge, uh, you know, a huge piece. And I, let me add one thing that's a prerequisite even to the answers we just gave. Um, the psalmist says, who may ascend your holy hill? It says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, the one who has not lifted up his soul to idols. Yeah. I will say that when it comes to the work of spiritual formation, my great fear is that spiritual formation will just become a buzzword. That 20 years from now, it will be the evangelism explosion. We'll talk about it, and yet we'll never get around to doing the thing. All of your best laid plans to look more like Jesus will be hindered if you don't watch what you say. And I, mm -hmm. I just have to say that because holiness really is what we're after. It's, if we talk about learn, spiritual formation is learning to do and say the things that Jesus did and said. Holiness is what we're trying to, to unearth in our lives or have Christ unearth. We're wanting to see more of that cultivated. And we can give you, I think RD and Brian and I and Abby can sit up here and give you all of the tips and tricks and we can give you all of the, the latest. We can drop Dallas Willard's name and Richard Foster's name and several others. But if you're not committed to holiness, personal holiness, then it'll be for nothing. So ask God to like give you clean hands, like be where you need to be and don't be where you don't need to be. Watch the things that come out of your mouth, the things that you say. Watch the passions of your hearts and how they're being formed. And don't think for a second that you can, um, you can log some time at this retreat and then just go watch something that blows up all of the work that you've built into, the, into your soul. I will always say like the fabric of your soul is gossamer thin. It is so thin. And the tiniest nick in your soul, right? Just the tiniest nick can let a lot of garbage in. And so just be careful. Know that you are not just a human having a spiritual existence. You are a spiritual being who happens to be having a physical existence and care for your soul, right? I just, that's the big sister coming out, but I'm just going to tell you straight like it is. Hey, that's Always. what we need. Uh, next question is, uh, this is a good one. I feel like at college, my spiritual life can be separate from my school and social life. 
how can I begin to make them feel a little bit more together rather than... I would say prior to the enlightenment, everybody was looking at Jesus. They saw God in everything. He is in all things and over all things and in him all things are held together, right? But the enlightenment, we prioritize this more than anything. And you're in an environment where this is what you're using to get through college. But I would say start by seeing him in every single thing. See him with the person who sits in front of you, knowing that here is somebody who is fearfully and wonderfully made. See him in the way that you study science. See him in the beauty and the logic of mathematics. See him in a sunrise. See him in a sunset. See him. Look for him everywhere. If you want to read a little bit about it, read Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. And then you'll see that there will not be such a distinction between the sacred and the secular. That's not how we're meant to live. You can't serve two masters and you can't show up in the secular world and be one person and show up in the spiritual world. Am I reading your email front row? <laughs> like she keeps like nodding her head, right? So you can't do that. You absolutely can't. So you, there's no line between sacred and secular. He's overall. He's in all and over all of it. Mm -hmm. And if you look for him, like you'll always find him in it. And that'll help erase that line. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> like, do we need to add anything to that? Uh, what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question is, this is kind of a, I just want to see how y'all would answer this with fellowship or uh, this person saying they they long for discipleship, but where to begin when it comes to finding a mentor? Um, RD is open. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, that's sadly increasingly a problem because yep. uh, there are fewer people to emulate their faith. And there are fewer people that think they have a faith, I think, worth emulating. Uh, and so that's only going to get worse, actually. Uh, which I know is a very encouraging answer to you. But that's, that's the reality. Like, it's, um, it's going to be hard to find people you can trust that you want to emulate their life. It just is. But, I mean, obviously, always going back to prayer, like, Lord, uh, would you put me in places where I could be around people um, who are wiser than me, who can show me that way. To be a part of a church the size of fellowship, one of the blessings is that there are a lot of people in every generational category here. Doesn't, just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser, right? Uh, a lot of people that are younger and much more spiritually mature than people in their 60s and 70s, right? Age doesn't mean necessarily a lot, but it can't can help you, though, if you actually have been growing over a long time with Jesus. So, I would say um, if you're part of a church, if you're part of the college life, then always be asking and say, is there anyone out there who's available to meet with me and talk with me? And something we're always trying to do at Fellowship is to bring those generations of people, of people together. And if nothing else, then yeah, just start with, I mean, Brian or with Abby. And if you're really, if you're really desperate, right, honestly, if, if you ask a question, if you're a guy, you're really desperate, if you're really desperate, then I will meet with you. Right, you don't have time for that. But if you really want, if you really want that, then I know other people that would be, that'd be open to that, uh, that as well. Um, I would say that. And I would say my mentors, a lot of my life, were dead people. And Oswald Chambers has discipled me. A dead Scottish minister has discipled me probably more than anybody has. There is a language that folks who lived in the past use, and there are things that they would say. They're not, gonna, they're not caring about sparing your feelings. I learned from Oswald <laughs> Chambers about why a ministry of obscurity is important. And for a lot of my ministry, God hid me under a rock in northern Louisiana. And it was neat. I was thinking, I started out as a college minister in, at the University of Louisiana in Monroe. And... There wasn't anything sexy about Monroe, Louisiana, and I had to learn, like, what it looks like to be obscure and to not be known, to not have anybody know my name, um, to mop floors, 
to do not fun things, but because a Scottish minister named Oswald Chambers said it, it gave me a context for seeing my life shaped and formed. So I know sometimes you long for a three-dimensional person with actual skin on, but um, Teresa of Lusso, Mother Teresa, Julian of Norwich, Bernard of Clairvaux, there are a lot of dead people who can disciple the heck out of you, better than some of those who are living, myself included. Yeah. I love it. Uh, next thing we got, I'm trying to pick, there's multiple questions in this question. Uh, oh, this is good. How do I know when and where the Lord is speaking to me? How do I really know that? Oh, um, that's a great question. Uh, I mean... I would say a, a couple of key things is, is the more you're in God's word, the more, I mean, every time you open up the Bible, he speaks to you. So that's obviously, you know, number one, you know, yep, yep. And then the more you're in the Bible, the more you can hear his voice in, in other places as well. You can trust his voice. Um, and then to be around wise people where you can just kind of throw out the ideas to them. That's like, I heard God say this. And if they are wise and then they can bounce that kind of off of you. So if you're in the Word, uh, if you're in a regular prayer life, if you're with other people that you trust, you can kind of confirm things or have things challenged, then I think you can really begin to discern the voice of the Lord and uh, can hear His voice. It just ta it takes time, right? It's like learning a new language. It takes time to do it, to hear His voice. How is He speaking? Uh, the still, small voice. God rarely shouts. He whispers and um, you know, as A.W. Tozer, not as, but A.W. Tozer says, you know, he, he waits to be wanted. And I think this idea of like, um, you're not going to hear the voice of God if you're not in the Word, if you're not praying, um, if you're just kind of floating above your, your life. But if you do press into those things, then God, God will speak to you. And he will, um, he will press things on your heart. You have to make the choice if you want to receive that and, and walk in that or dismiss that uh, and not walk in that. And the word, the word says, my sheep hear my voice. So you can know that you will hear the voice of God, which is amazing. I think the, the question has this, yeah. to me, I hear like the, the tenderness in it. Like, like if you desire that, you're going to get it. You will. So my sheep hear my voice. So if you're his, you're going to hear him. Oh, yeah. And, so, and I always think of Jeremiah yeah. where he says, uh, those who will seek after me, they will find me. Yeah. So it's, God's not hiding from you. If you want to hear his voice, he's going to speak mm -hmm. um, if you're seeking it. Uh, next thing is, I like this question. It's kind of broad, but I want to hear how y'all are going to answer. Uh, what does beholding the glory of the Lord actually look like? Oh, yeah. It's like, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Put your hand up. <laughs> what, did you, what did you do when you saw it for the first time? Yeah. Actually, better question is what happened to you in your spirit, in your heart? Yeah. Something did. <laughs> right? Did you go to the Grand Canyon and be like, ugh. But you can't go to the Grand Canyon and just, and just blink at it and go away. You've got to sit with it and stare at it and actually behold it. Yeah. You said the first time your wife was speechless, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> get you some Grand Canyon dog. pictures for your house, maybe. <laughs> All right, here you go. Just here's another. Yeah. Afraid? Yeah, that's actually pretty, that's good. Oh, I mean, if you've been, you know. If you haven't been, you don't know. Yeah, uh, you, you know. The first time I ever saw it, uh, it, it, actually, the only thing, I think even still, that actually took my breath away. It was so breathtaking, and I just stared at it. I just stared at it. And to behold the glory of the Lord, I know it sounds like it's so up here, but it is to not just read the Bible or to pray it is to it is to to fight in your in your power in everything that you are to actually be like lord you are already seated in the heavenlies i want to behold the reality of who you are in my life i want to stare at you through your word through prayer 
and actually have time in my spirit to let you speak to me. That's beholding. Like think of every, the things in your life that you behold the most deeply, you become like those things. You become like things you behold. And so the Grand Canyon, whatever it is, like you've got, you've got 100,000 people at a UT football game beholding the glory of, of a football team, just making much of it, delighting it, finding a lot of joy in it. And it deeply shapes you. And so the behold, you know, God's glory is, it's so paramount. And, and just to spend time meditating on his greatness and his glory. Um, and then you want to share that with other people, right? If you've, if you've been in the Grand Canyon, I mean, I'm like the biggest Grand Canyon evangelist in the world. You got to come there. You got to go there. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been. I want everybody to go there. Yeah, it is. It is Grand the most. Grand Canyon and Disney World. It's the most. Yeah, the Disney World's also amazing. Uh, so it's Hawaii. But it is like, I, you just, when you behold the glory of something, what do you want to do? You want to share it with somebody. You can't just keep it in here. Um, and if you, if you don't have a faith like that, that you want to share, you probably haven't ever really beheld his glory. You just kind of follow him kind of, sort of, you go to church. Good night. I think of, um, the prophet Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated Mm -hmm. on the throne. And it talks about the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. But he was, the way the Lord does is he does, you know, David was talking about speechless. There's a way that our speech gets checked when we behold the glory of God. And I read, I can't recall who it is. I think it might be Merton, somebody. But they said, if you, be, if you get to a place where you can describe God, you do not yet know him. <laughs> Because he's so other. And I think that's why you're like, he's kind of like this, and he's like this, and he's big, and so speechless is. Um, yeah. I'm hearing a song from the past, like I am, oh, I think it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. I mean, oh, that's, I'm going to date myself, Cinderella. but I am speechless. I'm astonished and amazed. amazed. I am silenced I by your wondrous, wondrous grace. grace. Yeah. yeah. And there's this astonishment, dun, 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 I think. I know he's going to start album. playing. I listen to that album in middle school. <laughs> yeah. And it still oh, is a banger. School. It's a banger. Yeah. Stephen Curtis Chapman, the man. But sure I think that's beholding as you do. You're just kind of undone. Woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so beholding his glory involves you being a bit undone, I think, yourself as well. Mm. I think of Ezekiel too. He just saw his chariot, not even, yeah. and that led him, or even Jesus in the transfiguration. <laughs> it's like Peter's like, I want to build three tents. Can we like sit here and like yeah. sit in your presence? Like that's the kind of expression of uh, beholding. But last question, there's like a million on here, and I was like, how do we close this thing out? But uh, this one, I, I think we, I don't want to ignore. Yeah. I don't want to ignore this question. I think it's a good, good. one. And I just closed out of it. Where'd it go? Oh, here it is. Uh, there are times where I come to God with my grief, hurt, and my discouragement. It's, sometimes it seems as though my soul will not be comforted. Where do I go from here? What is the transformative work God can do in this circumstance when my heart wants to fight, against, fight to accept it? I will, I will say this morning I was praying because I have this, um, this dumb, broken foot. And I had an appointment with an orthopedic surgeon, you know, this afternoon. And sometimes I check my prayers because I don't want to be disappointed. But lately, and over the last months, God's just been like, you know, take the governor off. Like, just let it go. Like, prayer gets us in touch with our desire. And so I'm praying about it, and I hear him say, like, I can do a lot with brokenness. I can do a lot. And I'm like, I I would like to hear something a little bit different. But (laughs) the reality is that if you have grief, if you have brokenness, that is fertile ground for for the goodness of God to be seen. I do want you to know that that brokenness does a couple of things. It either wrecks us and hijacks the big season of our life, or it transforms us. And if you're at a conference like this this weekend, and you're asking a question like that, then I believe 
that Jesus has something that is going to be so transformative for you here. There's going to be something that you that you reach onto. But that is um, hmm. another Tozerism. He says, in order for God to use a man greatly, oh, yeah. He must wound him deeply. And I'm not saying that it's coming from God, right? But we do know that there's nothing in this world that comes at us unless it is filtered through the hands of a mighty God. Nothing. If the enemy has run roughshod all over your life, you've got to know that he is already a defeated foe and that he is like a dog on a chain. He cannot have any input in your life except that which God allows. And if God allows something, it is for the glory of God to be made manifest. And so when you talk about woundedness and when you talk about pain and when you talk about suffering... That is where he does his best work. There's beauty in our brokenness, always. And so don't hide it. It is what it is. What a kind of meaningless statement, right? It is what it is. But it is, it is the very thing that God will use as a pathway to knowing you. I mean, you will meet him at the end of that pathway, and you will sit with him, and you will talk with him, and he will... He'll give you all of himself in exchange for all of yourself and your hurt. And in the end, that's enough. It's always enough. Uh, that was very good. Actually, good, good for my soul. Um, I'll just briefly say, all of you are going to walk through a lot of grief and loss in your life. Right? You're going to lose your parents. You're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose a job. You're going to lose your dreams. Right, right now in your life, everything's in front of you. The horizon is very positive. Uh, and then you'll get to a place where it's not. And in that moment, you have to do something that's very hard. Which is still believe that God is good even when everything in your experience of him seems like, how can this be, how can this be the way? Uh, Jesus Christ is a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. And if the most perfect person who ever lived, filled with joy, and he was filled with so much joy, was still a man deeply acquainted with grief and sorrow, then you will be too. And I can tell you from my own journey in my own life that sorrow and grief and loss and pain uh, have been the furnace yes. for having a faith that uh, can withstand the fire. Mm -hmm. And I'll also tell you this, until you walk through deep suffering, you don't really know what it's like to follow Jesus. You can't. Right? Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean you don't love him, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know. And so suffering is actually an invitation, the greatest invitation to become more like Jesus. And we don't want it, and we don't like it. Uh, yet it's the way. Uh, and I agree with you. Brokenness is the way. Uh, and I think of, um, you know, Mary and, and uh, Mary who went to the tomb on Friday night after Jesus was dead. This is what my Easter message is going to be about. So... Um, it's called The Morning Before the Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Before the Morning. And it's always moved me deeply, a lot more after my dad died, this sense of what's Holy Saturday about? Why doesn't Jesus just rise two seconds later? Well, I don't know exactly, but I think it has a lot to do with honoring our grief and our loss and our pain and our sadness. And saying, actually, not just bypassing it to get to Sunday, but actually sitting in it. And now in light of Sunday, there is so much more richness and beauty and depth to your, face, to your faith. And these women, they go to the tomb, and they, it's in Matthew 26, 38, maybe, I forget which one, 39. It just says that Mary sits opposite the tomb and stares at it. And I just think of her being with this, this her disciple, her rabbi, for three years, this person that she loves so much. And just staring at a at a at a cold stone, and um, God didn't fix that. Mm -hmm. 
And um, yeah, that'd be my word to you, is, is God may not fix your pain, and he's going to bring a lot of things in your life that are going to bring you a lot of pain. Um, but that's the way. It really is the way. And so I don't wish that on any of you, and you shouldn't pray like in that way, in a weird way, like that's not healthy or helpful at all. Um, but I'll tell you this, some of you already know it. You'll get a phone call, or you'll get a text, or you'll get a diagnosis. And honestly, everything in that moment becomes very real. And you have to decide if the things that you sang and the things that you read in the Bible you really believe. And suffering is this acid test that shows you that. And to walk through it with tears and with weeping is actually what Jesus did. And uh, I would just encourage you in that. Um, God uses your grief to show you more of who he is and to make your heart larger. And last thing, to help you walk with other people through their grief and their loss and their pain. It's, it's just absolutely so vital. I have been able to minister to so many other people this year with an authority and a power that I did not have before my dad died. I wish my dad was still here. I would sacrifice all of that to talk with my dad again. But even in that, I've been able to sit with people and say, I know. And that's the end of the sentence. Second to last thing. I'm also reading through Job right now. And at the beginning of Job, his friends come to him after he's lost everything. And the scripture says, for a long time, all his friends did was sit with him. And things go sideways when they start talking to him. And so don't be a friend like that. The best people in my life, and I can actually speak to particularly Stacy and particularly Devin in the back when my dad died, were people who didn't try and offer me answers of God has more, or here's the purpose, or God's going to use you in so many ways in the next year if you just embrace it. Now, you know, yeah. like he's broken you, so now you're going to rise up. It's like, screw all of that. Yeah. But they just sat with me and just cried with me and said, I'm so sorry. And that was healing. And so be a friend like that, mm-hmm. without the answers, but with your presence. Um, and that's such a good gift. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, no, that was, that was really helpful. I hope you all enjoyed this. I know we didn't get to every Sorry. single question. We could have been up here a couple hours. Maybe we'll do this again with something else. Or I'll write these down and say, well, maybe we'll write fellowship articles about them. Uh, Just they, they would like that, honestly. <laughs> uh, but yes, there, there was a, cup, a, a couple times this question was asked, and I think it'll kind of humor us a little bit as we close this thing out. I had multiple people text me saying, Brian, how did you date three girls at the same time? And it's just absolutely it's a very boss. simple. Absolutely a boss. It's, a, it's very simple. I, I went on three first dates with, a gir- with girls in like a two or three week span. And then I picked one of them and said, and I'm still dating her. And what's Two. her name? Her name is Abby. It's not Abby Dias. She, <laughs> that's why, that's why. Wait a second. <laughs> that's why I I've got a concern. <laughs> so it wasn't that incredibly, incredible of a story. It was just like, I'll, I'll go on some dates, see what happens. But then, then, yeah. said, Let's boot the other two. <laughs> Pick this no. one, you know? Well, that's uh, about that. There we go. It's, so it might have been very you're hard, welcome Brian. for that. <laughs> All right. I could have waited till tomorrow to do that in my talk, but I felt like now needed to be the time. Uh, so here you go again. Here's the schedule. Uh, starting at 8 o'clock, the, oh. do- the doors will be open in here. Yes, if you want to come and spend some time with Jesus or just An hour for coffee. sit in some silence, listen to some podcast, the whatever offstage podcast, I don't know, no, the College no, Life one, that's probably a better Please don't one. do that. Uh, and then we'll have our session our, at 9 a.m. So uh, 9 a.m., we got Devin, Devin in, in the back. He's ready You're to bring it. You're going to want to hear that. He's ready to bring it. Uh, he's excited. He can teach. He's ready. Uh, and then we'll jump into some breakouts. But uh, how about this? Stacey, you want to pray for us? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Another announcement. If you, if you, th- if you love this, uh, Sunday night, we're having the first ever uh, fellowship trellis night. So those nights are really a time for you to actually grow in, the, in some of the practices of spiritual formation. And, uh, and the first one is this Sunday night at, what is it, 5 p.m.? Doesn't matter unless you're registered. Yeah, uh, that's true. Because it's full. Is it really? It is beyond full. But you Never can mind. sneak in. I'll, I'll stream you it on Facebook. You guys can sneak in. Really? All right. <laughs>
Just don't eat. Yeah, come at 5.30. There'll be room. There we go. Just come. 5.45. I'll Facebook live it in the back for those of y'all who want to Yeah, just come. Honestly, watch it. if you want to just have a weekend that you just say, Lord, here's my offering. I went to a forum conference and a trellis night. God will reward that. That's how you, that's how you build the house. That's a great house building weekend for you. I love it. Just uh, make it big time. Stacy, you can close us out with some prayer and then we'll be back tomorrow yes. morning. Father, we just come before you this evening with so much gratitude for who you are. Mm. We just want to say that we love you, that there's nobody like you, that you're good and you're kind and you're wise and you're strong and that you are a God who does all things well. And Father, I want to just pray blessing over this generation of college students and specifically those who are gathered here this evening. God, I ask that you would make yourself known to them in just the mightiest of ways. I ask that there would be not one student who would fall away from you. I ask that there would not be one of these students gathered here tonight who would allow their heart to grow cold, but that they would burn with a holy fire for the things of you. I ask that you would enlarge their understanding of who you are and what it is that you will do on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to you. I ask that you would allow them to see miracles. I ask that you would allow them to experience the winds of revival in their own lives and in our city as well. I ask that you would allow them to steward it and be participants in it. I ask that if their desire is to be married, that you would bring them a spouse who burns with the same holy passion that they do and that together they would just, um, that there would be a, a fire between the two of them. God, I ask that you would give them success in their studies. I ask that you would bring friends who would be dear to them and that they would still walk alongside 10 and 20 and 30 years from now if you tarry, Lord Jesus. I ask that you would give them such a delight in you. And I ask that they would be able to receive that they are the beloved sons and daughters of a good, good father. God, you are mighty. And you say, no good thing do you withhold. And so would you bring good things to them? And we pray for them. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen and amen.